morning, everyone. Good to see all of you uh, this morning. Oh. I wanted to ask uh, and think about, have you ever had a ministry experience where everything just went really, really, really well? I mean, maybe you were involved in an outreach effort or you were part of a short-term missions team and, and just everything worked out great. You had all the resources you needed. Everything during that time went very smoothly. You were sharing the gospel and people's hearts were opening up. They were very receptive. People were coming to Christ. Have you ever had such an experience? Um, for me personally, I can't say that I have. Um, from a comfort standpoint, I can think of an experience I had many, many years ago. Um, not at this church. I, I, at, with another church, I was part of a team going to another country to uh, share the gospel through teaching English at a local high school. Uh, I had never been to this country before, so I was prepared for a much lower level of comfort than um, what we would expect here in the U.S. <clears throat> but actually, when we got there, I found that things were much better than I expected. Uh, we stayed at a hotel where I thought the rooms there were, were just as nice or even nicer than some of the hotels I've stayed here in the U.S., the food was great. Uh, the team itself bonded really well. Uh, we never argued. We didn't get mad at each other. We complimented each other as teammates. Uh, we formed very close relationships with the students. They were, for the most part, you know, very respectful, very eager to learn. Uh, they were eager to get to know us. They grew to love us. We, we grew to love them. I, I mean, I can tell you on the last day when we were leaving, there were many tears shed on both sides uh, because of the close relationships we had formed uh, with the students and the fact that we wouldn't be seeing them for a while. Um, so, I mean, overall, this would have been a fantastic trip, except we had one huge problem. And that was, we weren't able to share the gospel with our students in any form. Um, though our host and leader had much uh, communication with the school beforehand in planning this trip, Apparently there was some misunderstanding because when we arrived, um, we were talking with the principals, they were adamant about us not doing anything to talk about Jesus with the students. And so, as you can imagine, for us it was really disheartening because, you know, to know that these students were separate from God, that we had a message of God's love and hope for them, and that we couldn't convey it, you know, it was just really discouraging. And as you could foresee, I mean, this really tarnished the relationship between the, the local host and, and leader in the school. Um, you know, they pretty much after that, although they had a partnership in the past, the, the partnership pretty much dissolved. Um, not to be totally bleak, though, um, one positive that came from the trip was that two of our uh, team members from the U.S. actually moved to a nearby country, and they intentionally chose to take time out to make visits to the city to continue to build the relationships with the students that they had formed during the trip. And um, through their efforts, uh, they were able to actually share the gospel with many of these students and see some of them come to Christ. So from a comfort standpoint, the trip would have been great, but you know, from a fruit standpoint, it was just really discouraging at the time, although it was great to see the fruit that came out of it later. Um, but back to the initial question, you know, once again, I've never had a ministry experience that went really smoothly. If, if you've had one, that's, that's awesome, that's great. But I think we're going to see from today's passage that that's going to be more the exception 
and that's the norm. And so once again, we've been going through this three-week series called Dealing with the Darkness um, that hopefully will prepare us for you know, Good Friday coming up this week and Easter on Sunday. Uh, Minister Stan spoke two weeks ago on how Jesus was the light that overcame the darkness. Last week, I looked at the passage right before this one um, where we have... Um, Jesus predicting Peter's denial and how to deal with Satan who manifests darkness. And then this morning we're going to talk about darkness as it relates to the world. So as a reminder for the setting, uh, it's Thursday night for Jesus and his disciples, the night before his arrest and crucifixion. He's sharing the Passover meal with the disciples and teaching them about many things. Um, his message is commonly referred to as the upper room discourse because they were eating uh, the Passover meal in an upstairs room. And I was reading much of the upper room discourse to prepare uh, for the messages and also to get me focused on this final week of Jesus and preparing for Easter. And I'll tell you that, you know, through my reading, I didn't recall this, this short section at all. I mean, I remember Jesus predicting his betrayer. I remember Jesus telling Simon that he would deny him. I remember Jesus washing the disciples' feet and them arguing about who's the greatest. But this passage that we just read was not familiar to me, and, and I'm, so, you know, I'm guessing it's not that familiar to you. And so what's he talking about? I mean, what is this about? Bring a purse, take a bag, buy a sword. What does this all mean? And so to fully understand this passage, we have to turn back to Luke 9. I'll look at the situation back then. So if you have your Bibles, turn back to Luke 9, and we're going to read verses 1 to 6. Luke 9, 1 to 6. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt, Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they sent out from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. When you read this, you say that it's quite the opposite situation from Luke 22, right? Here it says, take nothing versus take a purse, take a bag. So what's the difference? The one word that would describe the situation in chapter 9 is hospitality. Hospitality. Let's see if this works. This isn't. Can you flip the. Sorry, this isn't working. The situation before was hospitality. The events in Luke 9 take place. About 18 months prior to the events in Luke 22, Jesus was halfway into his ministry, and up to this point, he was the one that was doing all the work. Don't do it now, but if you, you know, quickly took a scan of the chapters before Luke 9, you know, you'll see that it was Jesus who was doing all the teaching, he was the one performing all the miracles, he was raising people from the dead, he was curing people of diseases. Jesus had a message to give to the world. The fulfillment of the kingdom of God was beginning to take root. The promised Messiah had come in himself. And he was, up to this point, the one primarily giving the message. He was 
healing diseases and, and, and you know, teaching that the kingdom of God has come. He does call the disciples in Luke 5, you know, and he says to some of them that they would change from catching fish to catching men. But so far, they haven't done anything in regards to this yet. But Jesus has a plan to train up his disciples to carry on his mission after he departs from the earth. And Luke 9 is their indoctrination and being sent out to proclaim the gospel. Thus it says in verse 2 of Luke 9 that he sends them out to proclaim the gospel and heal the sick. It says in verse 1 that Jesus also gave them power and authority to drive out demons and cure diseases. So not only did he tell them to go out and preach, but he gave them the power that Jesus had over sickness and demons. And we have to understand that an important reason that Jesus gave them this power is because they needed something that would validate their message, that the message truly came from the Messiah. In the Old Testament, in places like Isaiah 35, when it speaks of the promised Messiah, it says, when he comes, the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. So when Jesus and the disciples proclaimed the gospel, these miracles were performed to attest to the validity of Jesus, who is truly the one promised in the Old Testament. So he empowered them with his power and sent them out. And Jesus also wanted to give them a lesson to teach them to learn to trust him and be content with what they have. So he says, don't take a bag, don't take bread, don't take money. Stay with whoever welcomes you and don't move. And to elaborate on some of these things a little more, when Jesus says don't make a, take a bag, he's referring primarily to a money bag. Back in those days, it was common for teachers and philosophers to go around from village to village teaching, you know, and philosophizing or whatever they do. And, and they would carry a money bag. It'd be like a fanny pack that you would put, you know, around your waist. And the purpose of the money bag would be to store cash that they collected for their services. So when they taught well, when they, I guess, philosophized well, the people would give them money. They would ask for money, and the people would give them money. And the money they collected, they stored in their money bag. And when you think about it, I mean, how much money could the disciples make by doing the things they were doing? I mean, oh, you want your blind son to see? Oh, I think it's worth a lot, isn't it? You know, you want someone, you want to be healed from leprosy? Oh, that should be worth a lot of money, shouldn't it? So they could make a lot of money for the things they were doing. But Jesus says, no, you're not to do that. You're not to take a money bag because I don't even want you in the slightest to be tempted to think that you could make money and get rich off of this ministry. So don't take any money bag. You are not in it for the money and my purpose of sending you out is not to get money for the ministry. And then when he says things like, if someone invites you to stay, stay, invites you into their home to stay, stay there for as long as you can and don't move from town to town. He's also doing that to reinforce this lesson on contentment. Because he, he doesn't want them to think that they can move around from house to house to kind of bump up their living conditions. You know, maybe when someone arrived in a town, Someone invited them to stay at their home, which was a little more modest. But then as they stayed in that town and got to know more people, a wealthier person says, oh, you know, you can come and stay at my place. You know, it's like 
going to a city you were invited to and your host puts you up in a Motel 6, but then someone comes along and says, oh, you're staying in a Motel 6? Here, I have a room at the Ritz-Carlton you can stay at. And Jesus is telling the disciples, no, you can't do that. You need to learn to be content. Don't bring anything. Trust me with that. what I will provide you through the, through the people in the towns that will receive you and welcome you. And so it's very important to realize that during this time, Jesus expected the disciples to receive the same reception he received when he was going with them from town to town. And that was one of welcome. Jesus, you could say at this time, was you know, kind of like a rock star, right? He was teaching unlike any of the other teachers had been teaching. He was going about curing people from diseases. He was driving out demons. He was raising people from the dead. So crowds were naturally following him. So, you know, accordingly, if a disciple went to a village and knocked on someone's door and said, hey, you know, I'm with Jesus. I'm, I'm one of the people with Jesus. The person would, you know, likely welcome him in and say, you know, come in, come in. You know, maybe their Asian nature would, would kick in and say, oh, have you eaten yet? You know, let me bring you a cup of tea. Come in, stay for as long as you want. Some may reject them, like, like he said at, at the end of, you know, verse 6, but, you know, and, and if so, they were to shake the dust off their feet. But for the most part, there would be the exception and not the norm. So Jesus sends them out, telling them to proclaim the message and empowering them to attest to the validity of the message. And he wants them to trust them for his need, trust him for their needs through the hospitality that they would receive through the places they entered. This is how it was in Luke 9. And so the question you may ask is, is this how it's supposed to be now? You know, I've actually heard stories of people reading Luke 9, and they go out on missions. They're like, we're not going to take anything with us. We're not going to make any hotel reservations. We're not going to bring any money. We're just going to trust God to provide. Is that the way it's supposed to be now? Well, let's turn back to Luke 22. And we'll see how quickly things change for Jesus and his disciples in, Luke, in 18 months. So Jesus, once again, alluding to what took place in Luke 9, asked them in verse 35, When I sent you out without a purse, without a bag or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. But now, Jesus says, and that's the difference, but now, if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell it, sell your cloak and buy one. And the disciples hearing this probably thought, well, wait a sec, what just happened? We didn't take anything and we saw all these miraculous things happen, and now you want us to take stuff? Why do you want us to do that? And Jesus explains to them in verse 37, why this is so. It is written, and he was numbered with the trans- transgressors, and I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. Things will change. Yeah. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. So before you were treated with hospitality, soon you're going to be tra- uh, treated with hostility. And people have come up with a different thoughts about what does it mean in verse 37 to be numbered with the transgressors. 
Some have proposed that Jesus fit that description because he was crucified between two thieves. So being hung out there on the cross with two thieves and him in the middle, he was numbered with the transgressors. Others have proposed that this phrase is used to describe Jesus because he hung out a lot with sinners. Since he spent so much time with sinners, he would be counted among them, thus he was numbered with the transgressors. And though there may be some truth to these ideas, we really have to go back to where this phrase was originally found to grasp its meaning. And that's in Isaiah 53, which I think is a chapter we'll probably refer to a few times, at least on Friday. So you can turn there if you have your Bibles, Isaiah 53. And we're going to look at first at verse 12, Isaiah 53, 12. Isaiah 53 tells us this, Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And it's this this last part that's important. He was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So though Jesus himself was perfect and committed no sin, God the Father willed for him to be seen as a transgressor, to be seen as a sinner, so that he would bear the punishment for those who are sinners. Earlier in Isaiah 53, verse 6, you can look at it if you you have your Bibles turned there. It says, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then it continues in verse 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. So because it was God's will for him to be numbered among the transgressors, the way people would view him would change. No longer would he be considered the rock star. He would be the blasphemer, the instigator, the one who people would turn on. The people who were shouting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which we remember today on Palm Sunday, a few days later, as Terry said in his prayer, would be shouting, crucify him. And so Jesus, knowing this, warns the disciples, now you need to take a bag, you need to take a purse. You know, you thought it great when you went from town to town and people were welcoming you in left and right. Now if you go from town to town and knock on someone's door and say you're with Jesus, they're going to slam the door on your face. Or even worse, they're going to seek to do harm to you. You know, before rejection was the exception, now it's going to be the norm. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they seek to kill me, they're going to seek to kill you. And understand too, when he talks about getting a sword, he's he's talking from a defensive standpoint, not an offensive standpoint. It's not like if you've seen the movie 300, that you, you remember that movie where 300 Spartans were trying to you know, battle against 300,000 Persians and they were killing all these Persians left and right. You know, the disciples may have thought that when they said, Lord, we have two, two swords. And, and you know, maybe they're thinking, well, we have 12 disciples and Jesus and two swords. We're going to overthrow the Roman army and we're going to you know, just come in and usher in the kingdom of God. But that's not what Jesus was talking about. We know this because when Jesus replies, that's enough, he's not saying, it's enough that we have two swords. What he's saying is, that's enough of this talk. Like, enough of this already. You guys don't understand what you're saying. 
That's what he's saying in the original language. And we also see this confirmed because when the soldiers come to arrest Jesus and Peter takes one of the swords and cuts off one of the guard's ear, Jesus heals the guard's ear and he says, what am I? Am I leading a rebellion that you have to come with swords and clubs? So Jesus isn't telling them to carry a sword to go on the offensive. You know, he's telling them they're going to need it for defensive purposes, meaning like maybe you're going to have, when you're going around traveling from town to town, you're going to encounter a wild animal and you're going to need to defend yourself from that. Or you may need to use it, because swords were used back then, to do things like chop wood or, or chop brush or things like that. So it's not to be an aggressor with, but to use it for defensive purposes. So the disciples are transitioning from hospitality to hostility. And remember that most of them were themselves either martyred or exiled. So if that's the case for them, what are the implications for us? Well, the hostility the disciples face in the world still exists in the world today. You know, as Terry prayed, you know, just just yesterday, I believe, or this morning, you know, for us, uh, you know, in Egypt, you know, he was praying about the bombings in the, in the Catholic Church in Egypt and how many people died from that and were injured. The hostility the disciples face is still true now. Here in the U.S., you know, people, you know, may not kill you, uh, but they'll slam the door in your face like they would for the disciples or, or, you know, they just won't open the door at all. If you call yourself a Christian, you know, it, it brings about connotations which are often negative in people's minds. And so it'd be much easier if we just went around minding our own business and, and, you know, letting people just go about theirs. You know, that's what our society wants us to think. You know, if this works for you, great. I'm happy for you. But let me just do what works for me. You know, if we don't bother anyone, no one will bother us. So why should we seek to share the gospel with others? Why do we continue to carry on the message. And i quickly give you three reasons. And as you can see from your outline, I'm going to use a couple of chapters in John to support the reasons I'm going to give you. And there's a particular reason I'm doing so, which is, I'm not sure if you all know, but chapters 15 and 16 in John, as well as 13 and 14, were also part of this upper room discourse. The message Jesus shared with the disciples during the Passover meal was much longer than what we saw in Luke 22. So if you have time, you can read John 13 to 16 to get even more of the upper room discourse. And since it was said during this time that Jesus was saying the things that he was telling them in Luke 22, I wanted to use these verses so you can hear in context some of the things that the disciples heard as to why they should continue on in their ministry. So why continue? First, because we have a command. In John 15:16, Jesus tells the disciples, I have appointed you. I have appointed you to go and bear fruit. So we're commanded to do so. You know, as we are learning in a discipleship group that I'm currently in, you know, Jesus' plan to have the good news spread throughout the world was to train up a small group of followers to go and share the message and then have them go out and share it and then train others to do the same and have this process continue and continue and continue until he comes. He had no plan B. He entrusted it all to his followers. So if we don't follow his command, it's not going to happen. Second, we have co-laborers. We have co-laborers. 
Yes, we have co-laborers in the sense that there's other believers in, in, you know, in the world and, and here in this building that partner with us to do this. But in context, I mean, Jesus has given us a co-laborer to help us, which is the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells us in the upper room in John 14, 25 to 27, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So we don't need to feel that we are on our own when we seek to be God's representatives. We don't need to be afraid, he says. We have the Holy Spirit and of course we have Jesus who told us in Matthew 18.20 that surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And some of you may wonder, well, why doesn't Jesus also give us the same power as he did the disciples back in Luke 9? I mean, you know, I, I might think if I raised someone from the dead, they would, you know, they might be pretty convincing in having someone believe in Jesus. So why doesn't he give us the power that he does? And it's not to say that he doesn't completely do it, do it because sometimes he does give believers power to perform these miracles. But remember, and this is an important point, is that they didn't have the full scriptures back then. They didn't have the New Testament. As I alluded to back when we were looking at Luke 9, the empowerment was primarily given to attest to the validity of Jesus' message. They were doing these miracles to show that Jesus was truly the one who was promised back in the Old Testament. Now, we don't need to do that. Because we have the complete scriptures. If anyone wanted to truly know whether the message you were sharing was correct and was from the Bible and attested to what Jesus said, they could just turn to the scriptures for confirmation. So sometimes Jesus will give us supernatural empowerment to do things, but that's usually not the case because we have the scriptures now and that's sufficient. And then the final reason to continue is to know that there will be a crop. There will be a crop. Jesus told the disciples in John 55, I am the vine, you are the branches of a man remains in me, and I in him. He will bear much fruit. You will bear fruit. And then again in John 15, 16, I appointed you to bear fruit, fruit that will last. So yes, though people's hearts may seem hard, though you may experience a lot of rejection, know that God has fruit for you to bear and that as you remain in Christ, you will bear fruit. You will see opportunities to share the gospel with people. And even some of these people who you share with will come to know Christ. And I quickly close by just sharing a, a, a story which reminded me about this. Uh, I was reminded of this as recent as, as last Friday night. We had a visitor come to ICF. A few of us uh, randomly just met him at Brandeis because we were having... Uh, pre-study there with our small group leaders. We were meeting in a public place and, and we were having our pre-study and this guy walks in to the room we were using and, and he, you know, he just kind of doesn't want to bother us and, and he goes to the other side of the room and sits down and begins to study. But he could easily hear what we were doing. And when we finished and we were getting ready to leave, he asked us, oh, were you having Bible study? And we told him you know, what we were doing and, and, and he told us how he was part of another church church or parachurch fellowship um, at Brandeis and so we talked briefly you know we said goodbye the last Friday um, he came to ICF 
And I think it's because his fellowship wasn't meeting that night. So he joined a small group and participated in Bible study. He was interested because he contributed throughout the studies and, and gave answers that I thought were, were pretty sound. He, he was in my small group. But afterwards, we were talking in a smaller group, and he shares with me, hey, you know, by the way, I'm not a Christian. And I said, and he goes, I'm actually a Buddhist. And I was surprised to hear that based on his answers in the study. And I think what it was, you know, he had been attending this other parachurch fellowship so long, and I know they're very sound in their teaching, that he learned quite a bit of Christ, about Christianity, and he knew good answers. Uh, and I spoke with him a little more, and I found out that, I mean, he calls himself a Buddhist, but he really doesn't believe in Buddhism that much. You know, I asked him, do you believe in the different gods and stuff? He's like, no. <laughs> but he claims to be a Buddhist because his parents are Buddhist, and he was raised that way. And he said, he goes, he likes coming to his parachurch fellowship. He likes coming to things like ICF because he feels very peaceful when he joins. And he said he really likes the community that he, that he uh, experiences in, in these fellowships. So as we talked more, I, I found he, he wasn't totally clear on some of the main issues of Christianity. So I briefly shared the gospel with him. And it's not that he accepted Jesus Christ into his life that night. But I got a sense that, you know, God is working in his life, although he doesn't realize it yet. But when he says, you know, I feel at peace when I'm here, you know, he's experiencing the peace of God, the peace that comes through Jesus. And I trust that as he continues to go through his parachurch fellowship, the Holy Spirit, our co-laborers, will be continuing to draw him closer to Jesus. And this is what helps us Understand why we should continue to spread the gospel. Because we see God working and we understand our role in this. Though the world may be dark, though it will be hostile, we understand what we are commanded to do and join God in his work to bring about the harvest. This is the message Jesus came to spread. This is what he came to earth to preach on. This is what he came to earth to die for. And he entrusts us to follow his commands to continue to preach the gospel and advance the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank